Welcome to Fantastic Classics. My name is Chris Lemazny, and I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Pelosi. Howdy. Thank you for being here today, man, as always. Uh, today we have a, a good show for you. We're going to talk about an album that came out in 1977 called Animals by Pink Floyd. It's one of my personal favorites, and also I think uh, it's one of, one of your favorites as well. Chris. Oh, absolutely. It so, is one of my... I have a weird connection with this album, uh, you know, just like all Pink Floyd fans. Uh, it really depends on where you started in the band. Oh, like some people like to start at the beginning. Other people, it's whatever record gets held in my hand or whatever record comes up the most. Most of the time, it being like Dark Side of the Moon. But Dark Side of the Moon was pretty early in their career, I'd say. Mm -hmm. at, at least in their last decade of of being a band. Definitely. Before we uh, before we get started, I'd like to also mention that this podcast is not so much a, a fact-based podcast. We will be talking about actual events. However, this is more of a casual conversation between two friends. So any uh, listeners who are tuning in, just know that uh, not everything may be completely correct. We, we could get things wrong for all we know. Uh, we, we have years of listening experience and we have some, uh, some research that we do before this, but all in all, this is just two friends having a conversation, and if you like listening to us, we really appreciate that. With that being said, let's let's get started with, with the conversation. So, continue with what you were talking about. So, this album, the very young age I uh, was when I was in my teens, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting my first record player, discovering what vinyl records were, why they were different than any other form of media, that being physical or digital. And this was one of those albums that came along my plate. This, along with you know, Dark Side of the Moon, any album by CCR, Stones, etc., etc. But this album in particular kind of sticks out more than any of their other albums to me. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One in particular being because I remember when I first heard about this album and hearing it, I was like, you know, what songs are on here? And I look on the back, and there's only four songs on the entire album there's only four songs two in the front two in the back i guess technically five you want to be like super specific oh because because there's um the eight track version i guess which is the pigs on the wing part two. yeah where they put the two songs together yeah so yeah like i guess i guess you could say this it's it's four tracks on there unless you split up pigs on the wing so yeah four or five songs yeah yeah it's confusing because it's because it's it's set up where it's what is it picked part one at the beginning and then part two at the end at the end on the yeah to kind of like loop it all back around together but not only is there only four on this record it is also named after an animal for each different song and each song represents like a different class of society represented by animals which is also influenced by the george I always get them mixed up. George Orwell and George uh, George Orwell and Orson Welles. It's George Orwell. George Orwell. Yeah, I don't know Orwell. why. I think because they're both fat people. <laughs> <laughs> I think because they're they're fat, famous people that I'm just like. Wait, George, George Orwell wasn't fat. He was actually a pretty skinny dude. Really? Uh, or Orson Welles was was fat like towards the end of his life. I think it's the O in the. It's 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 the it's the weird O. The yeah. the point is George. <laughs> Orson <laughs> George Orwell was fat. <laughs> I'm going to start that campaign. George Orwell was fat, okay? I don't want anyone telling me otherwise. No, listen. You can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, it is It is based off of Animal Farm by George Orwell. And what you were saying before, the uh, animals being based off of people in society. Yeah, so it, that, that is very true. The, the dogs are essentially the law enforcement. And, well, law, not just law enforcement. It's law enforcement and, I, I guess, like, People of, people of power, authority. CEOs, like, like bigger, like higher people and stuff like that. And then 
you had the pigs who were like the actual elitists, like the actual, you know. I think when he was writing it, he had three specific people in mind. Now, I don't know exactly who he was talking about. I know I know there were specific people. I can't remember exactly who they were. I, I think Margaret Thatcher might have been one of them, just based on like the time period that he wrote it in. But uh, he was talking about real people. But these are like the elitists, like the actual people who run the world. And everyone else is sheep, which is the like, well, fourth track, I guess, third or fourth track. Uh, it's, it's, it's the third animal in the installment of the album. But pretty much almost, I would say anybody that's listening to this is one of the sheep. I mean, you, Austin, you and I are the sheep. We're all sheep. Just, we're, all, we're all sheep, and it's just... You need to open your eyes, man. <laughs> wake up, sheeple. It's, it, it, is, it is unfortunate. I do like the fact that he, he makes a... Uh, makes it a point to have like a sort of happy ending towards the end of that album because it's very dystopic and very soul-crushing listening to it so he, he adds like a little bit of hope at the end which i think everybody needs you know like the like especially the after listening to dogs oh my god dogs is like it, it's probably like the most dystopic song on there because it's just like you just know that like they're they're gonna get you at some point for, for something you know yeah it is uh it's probably what stood up besides the one the album cover as well as uh, the amount of songs that are on a record. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know records could have only that many songs. Not, it, uh, being head, it's just about well, just time. Cause, just because they're long, yeah, they're longer songs and everything. So yeah, it, it, it makes up for like, uh, if they w- did have like shorter tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dogs is like 17 minutes. Yep, 17 minutes and some change. And, uh, and Pigs is like 13, and I think Sheep is like 10 or something like that, yeah. Yeah, each each make up about an album's, an album's worth yeah. put together. But Dogs is probably the most standout album uh, to me, really. It's just something about the 17... Like, uh, songs this long aren't something new, especially at this time. Like, Pink Floyd was doing 20-minute long songs since... Oh, yeah, since, like, early 70s. Like, I think Echoes was, like, their first like, uh, yeah, really long I would say song. Echoes. I think it's, like, 15 minutes, something like that. Um, and that was 1971. But this one in particular, because of how short the track list is... It really kind of extenuates the time on the song, so it makes it feel even longer. Just the the sound of it, just the guitar pickups, mm-hmm. the the pedals that they use for it is just insane. Of course, Gilmore's classic bending technique oh, really sure. shines on not this just song, but just album in general. And I just something about the album cover a lot like like a lot of their album covers. It's one of those things where you look at it and you can't stop looking at it. It's got this weird, almost energy to it, where you're like, I don't know if what I'm looking at is real or not. I don't know if this is a picture. I don't know if this is a painting. I never knew either, honestly. When I was younger and looking at it, like I, I only found out recently that it's actually a picture with the the pig. I think was added on later. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's actually it's actually just a regular photograph of a building, but it's shot at sunrise because this it wasn't just any old building. It was a power plant in England. Battersea um, Power Plant, right? yeah, yeah, on River Thames in England, yeah. Yep, uh, it is. It's very well known and popular architectural building, and the band's always been obsessed with it. And to them, each pillar of it, if you haven't seen a picture of it, it's basically just a giant power plant building with these four distinct pillars on each of the corners, like the building. smokestacks. Yeah, yeah. And this always meant a lot to uh, the band, especially Roger Waters, because it seemed to represent the band as a whole, as them. Yeah, and then, I've seen that before because there's only there's only two that are producing smoke on the album cover, so it's supposed to symbolize like it's really just Roger Waters and David Gilmore who was actually contributing to the, the music at the time, whereas yeah. 
Nick Mason and Rick Wright were kind of taking a back seat. Exactly, and this was obviously towards what would be the end of Pink Floyd. This was 77, they, they released this. They didn't um, have a lot of time left as a band. No, not at all. After that, it was The Wall, and that was 79. And then after that, it wasn't until 1980-something that they released the final cut, which... Well, they, they were working on The Wall movie, and that came out in 82, so that's probably what took a little bit of time in between those Yeah, because that was but not... That that in itself is a fantastic piece of Absolutely. artwork. Absolutely. If, if you guys have not seen that movie, I definitely urge you to go check that out. Only if you're in a bad mood already. I wouldn't watch that in a good mood. It's definitely going to dampen your spirits. It is. Your it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a bummer of a film. A lot about trauma, effects of, effects of war, losing a parent as an early child, uh, going through like a, a war at that time, like going as a child into a man of war, into what is now his world of, you know, after war. And just the the downfall of a human being of of, an individual of, of one man's existence in his mind. I I really appreciate the animation in that movie. Just the like just especially knowing that that's all hand drawn. It's like way before like computer animation and stuff like that. Oh yeah, no, everything in this film is it's hand drawn, and it's not just when we say animated, it is animated to the point where it feels like you're not even watching an animation. It feels real. It's just so smooth, psychedelic. The imagery, one scene in particular I love is the marching hammer scene because oh, yeah. they do this really nice effect in it where they have the hammers marching, but it fills up the entire screen. So the screen is completely filled with motion. It's like the darker side of psychedelia. Yeah, it's it's. It's amazing. not like the hippie version. It's like a very bleak version of it, but it's still psychedelic. It's it's it's, it's like way. it's it's like a post-apocalyptic psychedelic. Yeah. Like it's it's almost hard to describe. It's it's like it's it's almost its own world, its own existence. It's hard, it's hard to believe that they got darker than animals. And they're just like, how can we get? How can we turn down the dial? Let's make this album, and then let's turn it into an animated slash live action film. Oh man, um, animals is is pretty dark though. Fun. Going back to that, I mean. It's, it's especially during the, the that time period, the late seventies. Yeah, and the the horrors of not just war and poverty that would you know be apparent in basically of not just the UK but in the world in general mm -hmm. of just the decline of humanity, one could say. Yeah, I never I never really realized any of this when I first listened to it, and it's it's funny because like you like you were saying before, this is one of like the earliest albums I had gotten into. Like when I first started getting into music, I was probably around like 11 or 12, and this was probably like one of the first 10 or so albums that I started getting really into. And so I still like associate it with, with youth and everything like that. I still uh, have like nostalgic memories of it. And two in particular, one is I was listening to this back in like 2010. My, my grandparents had this condo at the time. It was like a, it was in Sea Isle, New Jersey. We had a top story of this three-story condo and like the it was the back part of it too, so it just overlooked this little like river, everglade kind of looking thing. There was like herons and stuff like that. I was listening to the album during the sunset, and it was just like the most beautiful thing. Especially the solo to dogs. I, like when I hear that, that's the image that comes back to my head. It was kind of funny because it juxtaposes the actual meaning of dogs. It's supposed to be this dark dystopian thing, but to me, when I hear that, I get back to this sunset on you know in, in Seattle. Yeah, it's just the, the time period of listening to it. And Sunset cannot be a better album to listen to that because the album in itself is the darker side of life, you know, the struggles, the the reality of, 
you know, of, of the reality of our existence. Everything's not all sunshine and rainbows. No. It's a lot of so a lot of bad things. In so a yeah, it's it's definitely a pretty funny juxtaposition with, with that memory being what the actual album is about. The the other was just kind of funny, which I'm not even sure if I should even talk about this. But when I first uh, started smoking the devil's lettuce, which I don't really do as much anymore, but yeah. <laughs> When uh, when I when I did first start, it was with a buddy of mine at the time, and uh, I'd never done it before, and I was just like, you know what, be the perfect album to listen to that I've been wanting to on such an occasion, Pink Floyd Animals, and yeah, that, that's another memory I have of that. Yeah, just you know, one, of, one of the earliest that was just that album in particular was like when I first found out about it when I was younger, and then it wasn't until like about five six years ago I like got back into it again after being like I don't know why I haven't taken forever to listen to this mm -hmm. uh, and I would that was one of my uh, go-to bathtub songs where I would just sit in the bathtub and drink an entire bottle of wine and not get out. you telling me about this before all of a sudden that is how you die. Yeah I didn't know that that yeah apparently to, uh, to all of our listeners out there yeah apparently that's how you drown. Do I didn't know that. drink wine and go into the Apparently bathtub. if you fall asleep in a bathtub that's how you drown. I thought my brain would just wake me up like there's water and there's not supposed to be water in your lungs. This is so dangerous. I yeah, well, I made it out of life. That. Yeah, I, oh my god. Yeah, uh, yeah. if you got kids, uh, tell them this bit of information, uh, or they'll grow up stupid. Or, yeah. Oh my god. That, uh, that's, that's dark but funny at the same time. <laughs> oh yeah, the best way to get through everything is humor. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, but this this album, though, definitely goes down in history as like one of, one of the greatest, especially from the 70s. Just just Pink Floyd, one of, one of the absolute like, greatest bands that, that had existed from that time period. It's, it's just so crazy knowing that they had like bigger albums before that. Like they had like a string of, of just amazing albums through that time. It's kind of funny because the last band we talked about had the, sort of a similar situation where they just had a slew of absolute amazing albums come out in a very short span of time and they were just breaking up under the scenes, you know. Pink Floyd, they, they had existed for quite some time before this. They, they they broke onto the scene with Sid Barrett in 1967, but he had a huge problem with psychedelia and schizophrenia and he ends up getting kicked out of the band and replaced by David Gilmour uh, around like 68 or so. And they had uh, a pretty decent success for a little while, and it wasn't until 1973 when they released Dark Side of the Moon where they acclaimed widespread success. And, and they didn't really know what to do because at the time, like most people, you don't really know how an album's gonna sell. You might think it's amazing, but it truly depends on sales and what everyone else thinks. And they weren't expecting Dark Side of the Moon to be it, what it ended up being. They weren't expecting it to be the third most sold record of all time, especially somewhat early in their career, because it was came out in 73, 67 is when they released Pipe, their first album, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. So about six years after the release of their first album, they had like the, like the not just their biggest album, but like, yeah, one of the biggest albums to ever exist. And for that to be within the 10 year mark of you guys being a, a published band is just, it's they, quite, they, they didn't know what to do. And obviously, like, once you release something as influential as Dark Side of the Moon, where it, it doesn't change the band, it changed music entirely. I would definitely change the band, though, because they, they were never the same after that. Oh, no, absolutely. Once they, once they got, like, their sound, I feel like they started to really kind of get their sound. I think metal mm -hmm. is when they really perfected it. 
and then uh, you know the 71 followed by Obscured by Clouds 72 Dark Side of the Moon 73 and then from there on it just they just kept climbing the ladder they were following up with a record from 1967 to 1973 uh, they released an album each year taking a two-year break in between Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here because obviously when a record sells big band fans and you know record companies are gonna say all right well what's next how do you follow up with I don't think they a were, perfect game I don't think they were taking a break I think that was like touring because I think the album was so big that they had to go on tour at that point oh absolutely once you change history oh, yeah, especially when it was so unexpected so on top of touring for that long doing US tours UK tours you know everywhere on top of trying to create new stuff especially being on such a a, t a busy schedule from 67 to 73 mm -hmm. and then including 73 74 75 plus having like a huge lineup change in your band as well it's because it wasn't pink floyd in 67 is not the same thing as pink floyd in 73 it was like a totally different sound like much darker i think i think sid barrett had like dark elements to his music but it was hidden under a sort of Jester type sound, almost. So that, that's, that's the best way I can. No, no, no. That's that's it. that's perfectly. Uh, that's a perfectly good description of it. It was still experimental, and it he is a big factor of why the band found their sound. But it was that weird kind of '60s rock era, where it everything almost like you said, it sounded like a fairy tale. Like it's a lot of tambourines, weird horns, and whistles, and all this weird, it, it's it's like listening to a fairy tale book. It's almost like if Monty Python made music full time, you know? That's that's actually a pretty good description. Yeah. It, it, it almost sounds comedic. But still good though, you know, it, it's good in its own way, but it definitely changed in like the, the course of that time. And so back to what I was saying about like the, the string of albums, you had Dark Side of the Moon and then you had Wish You Were Here, Animals, and The Wall. Arguably, their four biggest albums, and they all came out back to back to back, and that's just like a huge feat, man. Like just to think about having that huge success—that's uh, that's pretty much over the course of the entire '70s. Like they ruled the '70s along with, I guess, Zeppelin for you know for yeah. like biggest bands of all time. Yeah, started starting in the in the late '60s, and then following, like finding such huge success in the early '70s. Mm -hmm and then using that traction to build what would become you know your next four albums which like you said after dark side of the moon was wish you were here 75 uh, animals 77 the wall 79 and that's really the end of their golden era mm -hmm. so the wall was like their last real pink floyd album basically after that it was kind of like how we had previously talked about uh, ccr and like the band getting to a breaking point with just work-wise, lyric-wise, career-wise, just ending up not being where you want to be and doing something for so long and kind of getting to the point where you realize this isn't going to last much longer. Exactly. We either have to like land this plane or we have to do a dive bomb and crash. Like It's one of the two. We can either end on a good note or kind of take our career and unfortunately that's kind of what ended up happening with Pink Floyd after the wall, a lot of fighting, you know, Roger Waters leaving the band and his last credited roles being on the final cut. And then after he left, they only released three albums without him. And I don't I don't think he thought that they were going to continue after that. I thought that he, he was like leaving. He's like, all right, yeah. well, what are they going to do now? Because I have like the lead songwriter and then David yeah. Gilmore comes out with Momentary Lapse of Reason. 
a few, actually it was a pretty good gap of time in between because 83 was the final cut and then 87 was when the Terry lap, so that was a, a pretty decent stretch of time. Especially for Pink Floyd, especially going from them from releasing back-to-back albums at least once a year, you know, like well, year after year, it's bringing an album with each passing year, and then going from a five-year gap mm-hmm. of not doing any, not releasing anything yeah. at all is the biggest gap in the band's music career. Do you like the Gimwire? It's, I don't think, I. so I haven't listened to it enough. I'm on the same way. But I, there's I there's almost this, I'm pretty sure you'll understand, or there's some people out there that'll understand what I'm about to say. There's this weird, almost dream-like feel about, especially on like the Division Bell. Mm-hmm. It's just this really weird, almost dreamscape type music where it, it sounds like, something that you would hear in your dreams like it, it sounds similar but it doesn't sound real there's almost a very sad melancholy type of, it is, of background it is sad but it's a different kind of sad it's, it's not like, a, like it's not like a depressing it's, it's like a, yeah it's it's not a, it's not a dystopian kind of sad like you got with uh, with roger waters version of the band it's it's definitely just like a more hollow feeling kind of sound you know what i mean it's like empty like with Roger, I think his sadness is more like despair. I feel like it's more like feeling intimidated that something's going to happen to you. With Gilmore's version, I feel like it's just a healing kind of like uh, you're getting over trauma kind of feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like this the, is the, the bad thing's already passed, and now you're getting over. This the, is the this is the afterstorm, which it, which in a way almost is a, a direct depiction of the band at the time. You know, your your lead singer for most of the band's career and all, basically all of their entire success and the reason why they became so successful and then you're just left with well we can either continue being a band and try to do what doors did and continue after we that left sh- that should never have happened and it, it yeah it was i try i was like i'll give them a try and it's just that's just disrespectful in my opinion man like he, he to get off the Pink Floyd course for just a second, I talked about the Doors. The fact that Jim Morrison did a, a poetry album specifically to not do it with the Doors, to have the specific poetry, and then they just go and take that after he passes away and put music over it. You say what you will about Jim Morrison, I know not everybody got along with him, and I know he wasn't the best person, but that's just absolutely disrespectful to me, in my opinion, man. Just imagine, like, because like it's not even like he didn't say it before like he specifically said like I want this to be my own thing and not have to do with the doors I don't want music and they said well we weren't expecting you to die in a bathtub in Paris so at least he wasn't drinking wine (laughs) (laughs) did anyone tell Jim Morrison he can't do heroin in the bathtub no one he just thought that he could live forever I mean, I guess heroin was a little bit worse than wine, but you just shouldn't be intoxicated in the bathtub. That's the moral of this podcast, guys. Just don't... Don't drink in the bathtub. Heroin is completely fine, though. Honestly, just don't take a bath. That's weird. Get a shower. What are you doing? Yeah, be a mick. Grow up. Grow up. Drink wine. You're bathing in your own filth. Drink wine in the shower. Or a shower beer. Get a tall boy and drink in the shower. Exactly. Like a, like a real man. Be a real American. Be a real American. Our grandfathers didn't f- fight in the war, so we could not... Not drink shower beers. Exactly. Drink a Coors Light in a hot shower. Shotgun a PBR. Room temp. Is that a PBR you just dropped right there? Pulls up sleeve. Oh my god. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get in trouble at the beach for drinking my PBR. You wouldn't get in trouble for drinking on the beach. You would get in trouble for just drinking a PBR. Like, what the hell is that? You have any self respect? That's a crime enough. That's a crime drinking a PBR. 
Well, you're drawing close to the end of this podcast, so I'd like to wrap this up here. I think we had a pretty good discussion about this album. I had a good time talking about this. It's what, like we said before, it's one of my favorite Pink Floyd albums, and which one of my favorite albums in general. I've been listening to it for years, and I can still just listen to it, and it's still just as as good as it ever was when you know when I listened to it before. So, and I, I know you have a, a similar feeling about that album. So. Very cool that we got to have a conversation with this about this. Exactly, I love sharing my passion, especially about music and how it, how it kind of, it does sound silly, like how music can change a person. But if it wasn't for music, you and I wouldn't be uh, we who have, we are now. Music is basically part of the reason and we why we got together. Exactly, like, as after not seeing each other for twelve years oh, as children. And we will talk about uh, what we'll mention in the next uh, few episodes or so how Austin and I met. Uh, but as for right now, we're going to get this podcast wrapped up. Thank you to everybody for tuning in and listening to us today. This has been Fantastic Classics. My name is Crystal Masny, joined by my co-host, Austin Pelosi. The intro and outro song that we have for this podcast has been written by uh, my very good friend, Ryan Loader. You can check out his music on Spotify. His band is Dead Season. You can also find him on Instagram at Dead Season. The logo for our podcast is by my very good friend Geneva Zentmeyer. You can find her art page on Instagram at Art Garbage. So thank you to the both of them for helping to contribute to this podcast. Please join us for our next episode when we talk about speaking in tongues by the Talking Heads. I'm very excited to talk about this one. That, that, that's just absolutely. I would call that a fantastic classic indeed. That is an absolutely amazing <laughs> album right there. That's exactly So, thank you for joining us. We drop an episode every Tuesday. Thank you for listening, and everybody, have a good night. Mm-hmm.